0: Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Morgan's Mentors, Morgan Neesmith will be talking with industry representatives about career challenges, mentor, and mentee advice. In this episode, Liz Smith talks about her journey through the geotechnical consulting field.
1: Welcome to DFI's podcast, Broadcasting Common Ground. I'm Morgan Neesmith, and it is time once again to move the needle with our podcast on mentorship and careers in the deep foundation and engineering world. Today, we are talking to another award-winning, internationally recognized geotechnical consultant, Liz Smith. Now, Liz is a senior principal at the engineering consulting firm Terracon, and after co oping with the Army Corps of Engineers in her younger days, she now has up to over 35 years of geotechnical consulting experience. Most recently, among her many awards, she was the 2020 to 2021 Geo Institute Cross-USA Lecturer. Liz, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: It is great to have you here. I'm looking forward to it. So the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is sum up 35 years of experience as fast as you can. But uh, we, we always ask that we give our audience a little bit about your background, where you're from, And I know it's extensive, but just talking about how you uh, got to Terracon from where you started.
2: Okay. Clip notes. Born and raised in Virginia, went to Virginia Tech for undergrad and grad school, got my master's there, left there, went to Haley and Aldrich, Um, too cold in Portland, Maine, left there, went to Southern California, working for CH Twim Hill. Uh, Smog was too bad moved to Sacramento, lived in Sacramento for six years. While I was there, I left CH and went to Kleinfelder and then they transferred me to San Diego, which is where I wanted to be when I first graduated. And then, but by that time I had three kids and we had one income and it was like well now i can't afford to be in san diego so we were there for about three years and then i got transferred to austin and we have stayed in austin uh, for the last 20 years oh yeah and then i went to Terracon after i was here for six years sorry forgot about that part
1: (laughs) no worries Uh, but we're going to get right into brass tacks that's an extensive career Uh, This particular podcast focuses on mentorship, and and now in your position, having been a leader for some time, as you started, did you have any formal mentors, or if not, people that you at least considered mentors, and if they were more informal, how did those relationships start, if you don't mind?
2: Well, so with every job, um, before I started and took my first job, I asked Mike Duncan, you know, okay, I have three firms I've interviewed with, how do I know which one to pick? And and he said, well, for a geotech engineer, and
1: I'm assuming. And Mike Duncan is was a. He's a professor
2: at Virginia Tech. Very famous, world renowned.
1: <laughs> Just for our professor. audience, right? Yes, of
2: course. Um, he was one of my advisors at Virginia Tech, and actually, I worked for him as an undergraduate. Um, Anyhow, I asked him, how do I know what to pick, you know, when you have three offers? Because the money was exactly the same at the time. And I was trying to figure out, you know, they were all different environments. And um, he said, well, you want to go somewhere where you have more than one senior person you can learn from. You want to go somewhere where they have a lab. And I think that was pretty much it. But it, it, but really one one of the companies had one senior person and a whole bunch of young people. The other firm had a whole bunch of senior people and no young people and then the one I picked had it was like you know the three bears, right <laughs> They had several senior people, several junior people, they had their own lab, and it was a good fit and I actually loved it there, and I learned a lot um In fact, one of the the office manager, he basically took me under his wing and dragged me all over the place. Um, When he went to visit a site, it's like, come on, let's go. When we go visit sites and his name was um, Jim Weaver, he and Ken Recker were the two uh, senior principals in the uh, office in Portland, Maine. And I learned a tremendous amount from them. But my other mentors, so most of my mentors have been male. Because there aren't a whole lot of females in, um in geotech engineering. Uh, I do have a couple of very good friends uh, who became mentors to me. Uh, one of them is Sunny House. Sunny uh, was uh, she's she was the pre- became the president of WTS, and I met her. She was a client of ours in the transportation industry, and I met her in San Diego. And, um, I just, we just started talking and I was having some, you know, you always come up with things that are a little weird at work and you want somebody to talk to about what do you think? And she was willing to be a sounding board for me and gave me some great advice. And we've been friends ever since. Um, I don't talk to her quite as much now, (laughs) um, but Yeah, she was the only, I think, the only female mentor that I can think of, Um, and she was a transportation
1: engineer. I like that, though, having not just, we're talking about technical mentors, but uh, someone you could look at as uh, just a sort of a life mentor in in terms of that situation as well. I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's going to be, for a lot of people, can be as important as just the the technical uh, mentorship as well.
2: Well, because you have two parts of your career, right? You have your technical part and then you have your kind of your career part and you have to have mentors who help you when you're in a weird situation that you can call and say, okay, this this thing happened and I'm not really sure how to how to deal with this. And that's different from a technical situation. It's completely different, but it's just as important to your career. And to your, actually, your mental well-being, I think.
1: I, I couldn't agree more. Um, when you look back through the course of uh, particularly the early part- portion of your career, is there a particular pivotal moment or moments, um, or I guess moments that you consider to be particularly pivotal or a big break for lack of a, another term?
2: Yeah. So when I was at Haley and Aldridge, um, I mentioned that Jim used to drag me around to Projects and sites, and we got this project that was a really big bridge project. It was a bascule lift span bridge, and um, he started taking me to the meetings with the designer. And you know, this is a world famous design engineering firm, and you know, here I was a year out of grad school, thinking, okay, this is pretty cool. Well. It, ended up he basically trusted me to just get in the middle of this thing and kind of run with it it was a kind of a double-edged sword because I was really uncomfortable with the position I was in like I I kind of would like some oversight (laughs) you know um but he was like oh you're doing a great job you're doing a great job client thanks you you're great blah 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 blah. but um it, it, it was one of those. Uh, it was pivotal because it got me really into transportation, first of all. That was really the first big thing for me. And I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, but looking back, because I had you know, a big project like that on my resume, then when I went to CH2M Hill, they put me in the group supporting the transportation group. And from there, I ended up doing nothing but transportation work. And when I was hired at uh, Kleinfelder, I was hired just to do transportation. Um, And it's been kind of like, that's how my career ended up. And it was a while there where I said, I want to do something else. And I realized I'm really good at this. (laughs) So I think I'll stick to this transportation thing. I get it.
1: Awesome. Um, We're going to shift gears just a little bit. So... Having been in uh, a leadership position now for some time, I think we've talked a little bit uh, as we've known each other the last few years. And I think we've seen a shift in the way companies see their responsibility from a little bit of what you touched on, sort of a sink or swim mentality when we were maybe younger to a more dedicated uh, responsibility to younger engineers for training and, and mentorship. but as that's developed, uh, what are still, say, the responsibilities of the young engineer? Or what are the characteristics that you see that young engineers have that seem to separate them and be an indicator for future success?
2: Okay, so I'm going to give you a contrast, right? Because it's easier to say, okay, this is great, but this is bad. (laughs) Because, you know, I've worked with a lot of young engineers, and I've mentored Tremendous amounts of young engineers because typically when I work on a big design build project, I end up bringing people in who are fresh out of school with their master's degrees um, because these projects are so big you have to be on it for at least a year and it's hard to pull somebody out of an office who's already working on stuff. So I usually end up getting one or two engineers fresh out of school on my projects and I teach them, which is it's fun for me. Um, and it's typically fun for the, for the, um, young engineer if they have the right attitude, right. right. Um, and, uh, I would say that the, it, it gets frustrating for me, um, being, you know, I'm under the gun, we've got all this work to do. Um, I don't want to hear you say, I don't want to work at night. Like you're not going to work at night forever, but I need you in the field for two weeks while this other person's gone. Um, so it, the person who uh, is makes themselves valuable is the person who's going to have you know they'll they'll have passion for the work, they'll have curiosity, they'll want to try everything. I haven't ever seen a cone rig. I haven't ever been on this kind of, you know, how do you, know, you know, how do you know when this is right when you're drilling? And if you don't experience those things, how are you going to mentor somebody later on in your career? Or how are you going to uh, understand when something goes wrong on a project, how to fix it if you haven't been there yourself? And I always tell my staff, I would never ask you to do something I've never, that I wouldn't do myself. Or I haven't already done. So um, I think uh, they have to. I expect them to always learn and be, you know, curious, want to learn, um, always trying to improve, willing to do what it takes. You know, projects are team efforts, and people who do well on team projects. And I'm not talking about the person who is the one who writes the report and everybody else sits back. I mean, everybody pitches in and divvies up the work and they all do it. Um, That's the biggest part of being successful, at least in the work that I do. And and I think it's most attractive to most employers. You want to have people who are team players. They're willing to do what it takes. Sometimes you have to work late. Sometimes you might have to travel. Sometimes you might have to do a lot of things that you don't necessarily want to do. but you step in to help and you're willing and you persevere through some of the activities that you maybe would have preferred not to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it seems like there is a certain amount of opportunity that you can provide to a young engineer, but at a certain point, they also have to have the enthusiasm to take advantage of those opportunities.
2: Right, they have to grab it. I can put things on a plate for you.
1: We can set the table and even pull up a chair, but they yep. have to. Sit right, but
2: you have to partake, and you have to be an active participant. And 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 you know, really, the people who've done that. Um, I had an engineer uh, who I hired fresh out of grad school, and um, oh my gosh, she's so smart, and I just adore her. And I hired her for this giant project, and she saw okay, this guy's struggling to do this, I'll help. And I didn't have to ask her to help. She just did. And she realized, okay, somebody needs to do this. And then she ended up, um, she really helped me keep on track because I had so many meetings all the time. She'd say, okay, I have a list for you and you need to do this and this and this and this. It was great. Um, You know, she helped me do my job and then you know stepped up and did the things that she saw that needed to be done without me having to tell her and love she's it. a fantastic engineer now and i love working with her but they never let me use her because everybody likes her too much <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> that you're a victim of your own success i know exactly. what you mean yeah yeah um so throughout a career as long as, as yours sometimes things don't always go as planned. Um, I don't ever like to use the term failure because things just happen doesn't mean just because they weren't intended that way that it was a failure of some sort. But thinking of a time when things really didn't go uh, the way that they were intended to go, or there was a wrench thrown in either your plans or career path, how did you uh, recover from that? And and, uh, yeah, could you talk a little bit more about getting back on track and that it's Mm Perhaps not the end of the the world that when these things happen.
2: Well, I'll tell you, you know, I was at CH2M Hill for eight years and I was at Kleinfelder for 10. And when I left both of those firms, it was painful. It was like, I felt like I was getting divorced from them. It was hard. I I didn't want to leave. So, you know, I didn't want to leave and it was hard for me. And yet I recognized I had to go. I had to go do something different. And sometimes you can get in a situation, um, it's sort of like being the young kid in the family. You know, you're the youngest and you have to sit at the kids' table. Well, then, you know, I finished college and I have a kid of my own. I'm not sitting at the kid table anymore, right? Sometimes you get in that rut with a company where they don't give you. The advancement or the respect, and they treat you the same way as when you were first out of school and it's like, no, I'm like a grown up now <laughs> and so going somewhere else actually helps you to reinvent and I'm saying reinvent yourself, but it's not reinventing yourself it's reinventing how people perceive you and um my my oldest son recently um change jobs. And I said, you know, this is your chance to reinvent who you are and get the respect you want because you have, but you have to do these things to get that. And, um, it's, I always looked at it, even though it was painful. And I mean, it was really painful both times. Cause I, well, you know, I had so many friends. I'd been there a long time. I loved the company. That I just needed to go somewhere else. I needed to go do something else for my, you know, for my family or whatever. Um, and if you're optimistic about your new opportunity, you can turn it into whatever you want. You can make it a super positive experience, um, e- even though you know it may not be what you want to do. Or sometimes people have to be, I've had to do this before where it's there's somebody they're in the wrong position. This is not the job you need to be in. And I've had several people that work for me and I said, you need to go work for X or Y, or you need to be, you know, you need to work for a contractor. You need to go work for the state, knowing their personalities and uh, things. And those people that I've kind of had to push out, they've done really well but they were mad at me at the the time. You're like, like, you're firing me. It's like, I'm pushing you out of the nest. (laughs) This isn't the right thing for you. Consulting or whatever it is, wasn't the right thing. Um, And so you have to recognize in yourself and you also have to recognize that in others sometimes, which is hard.
1: I think that's interesting that you touch on that, the people who you have given a push out the door to another opportunity, even though they didn't see it as an opportunity, I think that speaks to some uh, younger engineers, maybe fear of change or fear of the unknown, Right. right. when I, it really leads right into the next question that I was gonna talk about was uh, a lot of time, I think this is very common in consulting and, and the consulting slash uh, foundation construction industry is there's a series of progression of changes in roles throughout the beginning of a career And now I look at your career, I've sort of looked at it and compared it to mine and and we sort of did a lot of that same thing. And now you've been at Terracon 16 years, I think, and I've been at Burkle 18 years. And it's it's sort of like you get to that point and then you have the fit. Um, And and I think you talk a little bit about what young professionals should be looking for in terms of opportunities, instead of maybe being a little too scared of, I don't know if I wanna make the change because it's kind of safe here maybe expand on what you were talking about with um, things getting a little bit stale where you are.
2: Yeah. um, I have to think about this for a second. I had some ideas on this. Um, So some people are very, very good at certain things and not so good at others. So for me, I like to manage projects. I like the technical side. I love working with my clients. I hate some of the administrative stuff, right? I'm not, I'm, and because I hate it, I'm not very good at it. And it's like, don't make me do that. Just don't make me do that. Right? So you have to recognize what your strengths and weaknesses are. Some people are great at managing people. Some people are great at managing projects. Some people are great at you know, field work or, or whatever it is that their passion is where, where it is. My passion tends to be with design build projects. I enjoy working with the designer and the contractor and, uh, you know, it's very stressful and it's very, it takes a lot of energy. And, um, I'm almost thinking that I'm running out of energy <laughs> at this point, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, that's what, that's where I feel like I can do my best. Um, Where I get sideways is I got to do an invoice, (laughs) you know, things like that. It's like, there are people that can do those things to help me or whoever um, so that I can be most successful at the things I do well and not bog me down with those other things. Um, So as you go through your career, you know, sometimes you have to do everything until you figure out what you're really good at or what you're passionate about. And sometimes you may say, well, I want to do this. And your boss may go, "Mm, you may want to do that, but you're better at this. Uh, And and you have to listen because sometimes you, maybe you need to rethink, okay, maybe I need to get some more training in that area or something. Um, I'm not a technical wonk. I mean, I know, what I'm doing. But when I really need somebody who's super smart, I bring them in on my projects. I don't do that. Um, But we have to recognize what our where our talents are. And um, don't ask me to be an office manager, I used to think that you know, I, I did it, I did a department manager stint, because that was what I was asked to do, you know, we want you to be the group manager, okay, well, I did it. And I was pretty good at it, I think, but I hated it. And so another opportunity came with the big design build. And I was like, yeah, I'm going over there (laughs) to do that. That was basically why I ended up moving around the country so much um, because of projects or clients or whatever.
1: I, I get it. I remember very vividly uh, when I understood that I was not meant to be necessarily a project manager from a, on a construction side and needed to be stick to what I really did with the, the engineering and design side. Could work with them, but didn't have the uh, mentality to deal with the intricacies of the day to day project management stuff.
2: Right, and now we have we have other engineers who are in my group who are excellent at business development. Right. Mm-hmm. They set up meetings, they use their CRM and all that stuff. And I'm kind of like, yeah, well, my clients want me, they, they know where I am because I'm busy and, but they know that if I'm on their project, I'm busy on their project. And so I think a lot of times it's, I'm not expected to, you know, let's go have lunch and schmoozy, whatever. Um, We have other people who do that and you know, my way of, of doing business development might be a little bit different than the other people in our group, but I, you know, we're still effective at keeping our clients happy. So, yeah, it's like CRM. Right. I know. Client, what you mean. client, yeah. client something management. It's a database. Client
1: relationship management. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right. Well, on that, I appreciate it. It's, uh, we're going to take a, a brief break, but we'll be right back in a minute with more from Liz
0: Smith.
3: Hello, listeners. I'm Teresa Angler, executive director of the Deep Foundations Institute. And wow, so many great nuggets of information in the discussion today on Morgan's Mentors. Hope you found them useful. If you're a student or young professional, I want to specifically speak to you about getting involved with DFI so you can connect and interact with these experienced professionals and learn even more from them and their colleagues. DFI provides free membership for students and that membership allows you to join one of our many technical committees, attend events at a very low fee or no fee at all, and also access valuable technical resources such as free downloadable papers and manuals our journal and magazine at dfi.org as well as other technical documents from the geotechnical mining and tunneling world at onemine.org for young professionals an individual membership is very affordable and if your company is a corporate member of dfi they may be able to include you under their annual dues so ask your supervisor Other activities you may be interested in are are our annual paper competitions for students and young professors. These provide each winner with a $1,000 travel stipend, free registration to DFI's annual conference, two nights of lodging, a presentation spot during the conference, and the opportunity to have the paper published in the DFI journal. We also offer scholarships and Women in Deep Foundation's professional development grants through our charitable arm, the DFI Educational Trust. To date, we've provided over $1.6 million to over 450 students and professionals. Why not be one of them and apply? Information on all these programs, resources, and activities can be viewed at dfi.org. We look forward to welcoming you, and if you have any questions, shoot an email to staff at dfi.org. Now, back to Morgan and today's guest, Liz Smith.
1: Okay, well, thanks again for joining us, and we want to thank, once again, the Liz Smith for joining us today. And before we go, Liz, the question that we ask everybody uh, as they uh, are wrapping up our time here today. If you could interview one person anyone living or not for this podcast who would that be and why
2: for this podcast wow Mm -hmm. um you know i think my very favorite geotechnical engineer has to be wayne cluff um he was my advisor he was the department head at virginia tech and former president at
1: Georgia Tech as well.
2: Yes, he left Virginia Tech and then ended up president of Georgia Tech, and then he retired from Georgia Tech and went to be the um, secretary of the Smithsonian, and now he is retired, Um, but he, um, I love talking to him, and he's always been very genuine and uh, very encouraging to me, and when sometimes things didn't look so good you know and it's like so what should i do or it's like you can do this you got this you can you know and i look at how his career changed over the years you know he went from being a professor and well-renowned professor to a, a president of a university you know that's that's very different um and you know, as a president of a university, you're doing a lot of um, development with your alumni and uh, things that are different than teaching, right? So, and then going to the Smithsonian, I mean, all of those things are uh, really interesting and I'd love to have the opportunity now to just sit down and have that conversation.
1: I'm going to have to swear to our audience that I didn't know this was coming because that that's a great answer because you're right that it's not just the technical background, but he's such an interesting guy from all the, the overall aspects of his career. And as you said, has been a great mentor to a tremendous number of people, uh, both as a professor, uh, president and at the Smithsonian. Yeah. So uh you know i I feel bad for our future guests because that may be the best answer we're gonna get (laughs) uh so that was that was awesome uh but i was
2: lucky i was really lucky he was my advisor in grad school i did my thesis with him and it you know just an all-around great guy
1: that is that is uh Uh, well, Liz, again, we appreciate uh, you taking the time. We know it's uh, always busy, especially in the consulting world. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate all of you out there in the audience listening, and we look forward to you joining us again for future episodes as we talk to more of Morgan's mentors. And until then, remember, the
0: truth will send a ripple through your body. Thanks. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views. Information and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification, or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Proudly sponsored by Dan Brown and Associates. Thanks for your time. Keep on surviving.